This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and you can see the big smile on my face because I got my man, John O'Leary, here. John, what's up, buddy? Brett, what a pleasure to be on your show and, uh, and then to encourage the folks that are listening and watching. Well, we're, we're excited to have you. As you probably remember, you were the very first episode of The Circuit of Success. So uh, I think that was February 6, 2017, three, over three years you ago. You had nowhere to go but up, and you've been going nowhere but up since then, man. So congratulations. Man, exactly. Ground floor yeah, hopefully John this O'Leary. is not the bookend of the podcast, right? <laughs> so, But hey, speaking of books, what we got here? Look at so that. that book that you're holding is called In Awe. And as you know, because you had me on three or four years ago, we wrote a book about four years ago called On Fire. On Fire is a story of my life. It's a story of the people who showed up in my life, how God worked through some tragedies in my life, and ultimately what it means for everybody else in the world uh, as we show up and serve as our brothers and sisters keepers. So it's a really cool book about yep. my experiences. In Awe is a wake-up call on how we currently are going through our lives, how children go through their lives what we learned in between and what we can return to today to have a better life. And so uh, the timing of this book, because it comes out in May, in some regards, it's coming in, out into a massive headwind of virus and markets dropping and unemployment. And I think the, mar- the, the timing cannot be better for the yeah. book and all. Well, I, I will say, and I told you this in a message, a text message I sent you when I got done reading this, you know, you get books sent to you sometimes and sometimes you read them and sometimes you don't, at least that's the way I am. I'm sure you get a heck of a lot more sent to you being an author and and I'm always tougher when it's a friend that wrote a book. And I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here right now and we're looking at each other. And I'm not kidding you. When people look at this book that are listening versus watching In Awe uh, by John O'Leary, it is, I'm going to put it in the top three books I've ever read. And I, and I read 25 books a year. I'm a huge reader. Again, I get chills saying that, man, because I'm usually harder on a friend's book than I am just some random person I pick up at, you know, a bookstore and read their book. And, uh, cause I know them, right. I know they're, I know, right. I know who they are, but everything about this book is you. It, it is truly you. It is inspiring. It is a thought provoking book. It makes you, it makes you slow down and think about, um, you know, when I started reading the part about the kids running into school, right. They're excited. Right. When's the last time you ran into work, right? You parked your car and you ran into work and you couldn't right. wait. We don't do that stuff anymore. And kids have these awe-inspiring kind of moments, and we're not doing that, man. And, I'm, and again, so uh, the other books, if you will, is uh, John Gordon's The Energy Bus, and the other book is The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. Ooh, man, those so, are big books. So those are my three top books, that I, and I'm going to put the Brett Gilliland voucher on it. If anybody buys and reads In Awe you have, and you don't like it, you mail it to me and say, this book was terrible. I will send you the 25 bucks or whatever it is that it costs you. I will send you the money back if it's that bad. Deal? Deal. I look forward to getting my 25 bucks back. No, I'm going to get, I'm going to buy, I'm going to give the person the 25 (laughs) bucks, right? You're going to keep your money for selling the books. I'm going to give them 25 bucks. Anyway, man, I could go on and on about it, but um, I I would like to start with, this is late in the book and and we talked about this and I'm probably going to butcher these words, but you, you people respond with Sawabona and Sikona. Talk to us about that. So it's coming out of a section actually on belonging. So to understand how I built this book, you got to kind of take a few steps back first, Brad. And and for me, going through life as a speaker, I would speak with large organizations at conferences, and I'm considered to be a somewhat successful speaker. So people pay attention when I'm on the stage. That's that's just me being candid with you. Like they're pretty engaged. But even when I ask them questions, very few hands go up. When I have them turn to a neighbor, 
it's like twisting arms to have people turn and play along. Yeah. And so I would leave these sessions that were a little sometimes difficult to get the audience to really engage and play along and have fun and believe again. And then for fun, what I like to do is go into schoolhouses. I like to speak to uh, first in the morning organizations and then in the afternoon go to schools. That's what you and I were going to do recently yeah. and with, with the school. Uh, when I ask a group of first graders a question, every single hand always in the classroom pops up quickly, sometimes before I'm even done asking the question, sometimes before I'm done asking, like even starting the question, they're, they're that engaged. Like you mentioned earlier, they skip into the school building. And so these kids have something to teach us. And not only do they have something to teach us, we were once them. So what is it that they have about engaging in the classroom, about smiling far more frequently than we adults do, about having something called ferocious optimism? Right now, like they're, they're being homeschooled one hour a day. They think this is great. Right. Everyone else is crushed with the market and unemployment. And I think this disease will kill all of us. I'll be surprised if anybody survives this. That's how we're feeling. Kids, they're not reading the headlines. Yeah. They're looking out through their own lens. They're doing life wildly differently. And I would say to you listeners and viewers and Brett and myself, they have a better way and I think a more honest way to see life. It, yeah. It's ultimately through the lens of truth. And so I saw it in others, but I also saw it my own, in my own four children, the way they engage with me and engage with others. They were less judgmental. If they wondered why someone was in a wheelchair, rather than turning their shoulders against them and walking in the opposite direction like you and I might do, yeah. they actually walk right over and say, why are you in there? The person answers and then they're friends. Boom, it's behind them. <laughs> right. Why is your skin darker? God made me that. Okay, boom, it's behind us. We, we hold on to things so long, which also means we hold on to the things that make us different, which means we never really feel like we belong, which takes us back to your original question. Like, John, where does this come from? Can I interrupt real quick, John? And, and I, you know, I feel like I, you know, I, I made a mistake here, but I, I know you so well and I got engaged in our conversation. I dove right in. Can yeah. you give a little, little background of who John O'Leary is and what has helped get you to the man you are today? Because obviously, if somebody doesn't know, most people are going to know who John O'Leary is that listens to this probably. But if they don't, tell us a little bit of the backstory. Awesome. Sorry about so, that. Short story is this. Born in 1977 here in St. Louis, Missouri. Born to two great parents. Had a typical, traditional, normal upbringing until at age nine, I was burned on my entire body, 100%. 87% was third degree. And for the listeners, rather than the viewers, what that means is my entire body from my neck to my toes has indeed been burned. And when they do the math in 2020, Brett, the, the math is this, they take the percentage of the body burned. So do the math at home, hundred mm -hmm. percent, add age nine, and you got mortality. So at the finest burn centers and ERs in the United States in 2020, if John O'Leary presents today, he's got 109% likelihood of dying. Back in wow. 1987, there's just no reason for hope. There's just nothing that the, the folks can do. And yet, as you know, I was so guided forward through my brother who saved my life, my sisters who were there with me in the front yard, my mom and dad who met me with truth, but also in love, this incredible community from St. Louis and then the Metro East and then around the United States and then around the world, coming around this little boy before the internet was even born, reminding him that he's not alone, that he can get through this, to have a little bit of faith, to fight a little bit, to set a goal in the future and to move toward it unabashedly. And so the short story is a little boy with no chance to live now has a chance to go around the world teaching others how they can truly live in their lives, regardless of coronavirus and market swings, but which by the way, are incredibly normal. Yeah. We've had, and you know this better than I, 13 drops of more than 20% in the last 52 years. Right. Nothing new under the sun. These right. are 2,700 year old words that we sometimes forget. Yep. Nothing new under the sun. So I have a crazy story about adversity, but it's redemptive, it's beautiful, and I want to trade places with anybody in the world. Well, it's an amazing story. And one of my favorite parts of the story is your mom, right? The truth, right, that your mom said to you. And I think that's so important right now. And, and, and you know, I didn't mention this either, but, you know, we're, we're at home right now. We can't go outside. We're locked up. So people that are listening to this, you know, a year from now. Uh, we're, we're stuck at home with this coronavirus. And, uh, you know, our parents uh, are, t we as parents are telling our kids tough things, they're seeing things, but you're, you're sitting here in bed and, and obviously people didn't know if you were going to live or die. And, and you said something to your mom and she had a, a comment that only probably a mom can respond with. What was that? Well, it's a, you've got a great memory because I know it's been a while since you read on fire, but I am nine. I'm in a hospital bed. I'm dying. I'm bleeding out. I've got burns over my entire body and I'm laying in a hospital gurney naked. So that's the situation. Yeah. My mother comes in, she takes my hand in hers, she pats my bald head and she says to me, I love you. 
And it just, it just like totally caught me off guard because I thought she was going to kill me for burning down right. her house. Like that's, that was my original <laughs> right. thought. And then when she came in with love, I realized that I was actually in much bigger trouble than I thought. I thought it was a parent's problem. And it turns out that it's actually my deal right now. And so uh, I realized this was really serious. So I look up in my little nine-year-old way and say, Mama, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And Brett, I assumed she was going to respond, baby, who told you that? No, you're not going to die. You're going right. to be fine. And instead, she looked back at me. She kind of felt my forehead with her, like the back of her hand, like only a mom can do. And she says, baby, look at me when I'm talking to you. Answer this question. Do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. And so I look up at my mom and I say, mama, I don't want to die. Jeez, I want to live. And her response was good. Take the hand of God, walk the journey with him, and you fight like you never fought before. She said, dad and I will be with you, baby. You are not on your own, but you got to fight. You got to want this thing. And on January 17th, 1987, a little boy with really no earthly chance at survival took the hand of God, trusted in his mom and dad, believed that tomorrow was going to be better than today, and uh, has been right every day since. So how much it, it that was you think was, life, how much you think that is faith and literally your mindset? I mean, when you, when you look back at that, knowing what you know now, you travel the world, you speak to some of the biggest audiences and at these biggest conferences that you can possibly be at. I mean, you've learned a lot from a lot of great people. How, how important was faith and mindset in that, do you think? So I, I would think it's everything. And well, those are two separate things, although I think they're yep. married. So we'll, talk, yep. we'll start with faith. When I was a little boy, I had the faith that if you got out of the boat and thought you could walk on water toward Jesus, you could in fact do this. Not just reading something that happened a couple thousand years ago with the boys in the boat, but John O'Leary, growing up in DePere, Missouri, could get out of a boat and uh, go across DePere Lake and come right over to Jesus. I believed in my heart of hearts that was possible. And I did in the hospital, and, and I think I proved it true in some regards. The harder thing about faith is as you progress in life, you pray that a little kid's cancer goes away. And it doesn't, you know, you pray that your dad's Parkinson's disease, my dad's Parkinson's, man, I wish that would go away. I pray it goes every way every night. It hasn't yet. And so you have to reconcile how do prayers that seem to be unheard by an unloving God, actually, how are they actually received by an incredibly loving father to move not only that individual, but all of society in a, for, in a direction that we can't even fathom this side of eternity. So my, my faith remains committed and solid and steadfast. It's also why I'm, I think, as successful and steady and uh, joyful as I am today. So faith for me is a massive reason why I survive, but also in my life today, why I thrive. And it's not about money and it's not even about physical health or uh, satisfaction. It's so much, St. Paul wrote some of the finest letters from confinement. So a lot of us are barking about how miserable it is to be trapped in the safety of our home with our kids. Yep. Paul did his best work in jail cells on his way to, to death. So I, I think there's a lot to be learned from periods of great adversity if we have a strong faith component guiding us forward. The other piece is the mindset. The mindset plays with faith, but it also can live over here in a separate area. And for me, it's the ability to watch the sunrise, not as another omen of how lousy this day is going to be, but as a reminder that this is a new start to a new day and uh, the best is in front of us. So I think the way we choose to perceive, for those of you viewing, my fingers have been amputated down to my knuckles. The way we choose to view our hands and our scars and our limitations and our falling bank accounts and everything else we want to view will influence not only what we see, what we think and believe, and ultimately what we do with that, which is going to influence our results. So our mindset actually determines what happens next. It's profoundly important to not let the headlines dictate how you show up in your day. I 100% agree. I mean, I always say that your, your mindset decides where you go and your discipline decides how fast you get there. There you go, and, man. That's well said. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, man, your story is, uh, has hit me since we probably have been, been buddies since 2006, I think. 2006 is when we met. And it just is, it continues to be even more and more inspiring in the things you're doing. So I will go back now to uh, late in the book, uh, Sawabona and Sikona. Again, probably butchering those words, but, but fill us in on that. Talk to us about that. So those are, those are African ways of greeting each other. And the, the first one is, is that I see you? Yeah, I see I'm you. Here. I'm here. And in a village, the way they enter into a tent, into a home, into a family dinner, over to a well, is they want to make sure that the person next to them recognizes that, that they are there fully, not just uh, physically, proximity. I see you. Uh, I'm here. 
And uh, it's a cool way to imagine how a community could get along in sub-Saharan Africa. Like that's, it's beautiful, beautiful language. But man, you know, you're an advisor, you're a business owner, you're a leader of your family and of your team and of your clients, Brett. We need those words now more than ever. In 2019, when the market was at historic highs and unemployment at historic lows and the coronavirus wasn't even a thing we'd ever even had on the the horizon of our future, 1.5 million Americans attempted suicide. So during the best of times, one and a half million of us realized our life's not worth it anymore. And I am highly concerned about what could happen in the marketplace during the worst of times when we feel isolated, when our wealth, which we think is what we is the most important thing in our lives, begins to dissipate, when our employment seems to fade, when our connections to those around us seem to fade, when we're no longer able to exercise outside for a while, what will this do to our mental health, our ability to be seen and to recognize we belong? And so I think those words and guys listening right now, if you're still tuning in, you, you have a you have a lot of audacity to still hang on to the show for this long. But I, I think you need to be a torchbearer into a place that is seemingly fairly dark right now. Yeah. And you need to remind people that their best of the journey remains in front of them. They are not alone. And the best way to deliver that message begins at home yeah. and then carry it forward. But you, you got to start this thing in your apartment, in your condo, in your house. So but how do you do that, right? So if we can be pretty transparent, I mean, if you look at your business, you make a living obviously selling books and doing all this stuff, but you also make a living by, uh, see my, my kids over here dancing. They're trying, to, they're trying to make me laugh right here, John. That's good. I like it. Uh, but you, know, you make a living by traveling the world, right? Getting on an airplane, going to right. massive conferences and speaking and getting paid for that. And that has literally been shut down. Correct. So how do you remain positive through all this, even though that part of your life has stopped? I'll, I'll answer that question in a long-winded way, and you've read this story in the book in awe. As a hospital chaplain in 2004, I had an experience meeting a business owner uh, at St. Louis University Hospital. I'll give no other details about the guy or, or the illness other than that. But I walked into his room. The man was dying very clearly. The walls were gray. There were no pictures on it. There were no signs of flowers, cards, or visitors. And I sat down, and I, our job as a chaplain is kind of just to be a friend. Like it's not to convert or anything else, it's just to love people. And so I, I enjoyed that job very much. And I'm visiting with this guy and he shared, John, had you seen me years ago, you would have seen a man on top of the world. I had a successful business, had a great net worth, had a, had a strong marriage and three happy girls. And John, in the pursuit of success, I lost sight of what actually mattered. Uh, I turned to habits that led me away from my wife and he went into some details on that. Eventually my three girls turned, turned their backs on me. I turned to drinking turned to smoking, and now I find myself in this place with no one around. And then he looked out the window, Brett. He looked back at me, and he said words I'll never forget. He says, John, I've climbed the ladder of success my entire life, and as I've made it to the top of the ladder, I realize I've had it leaning against the wrong damn wall. Mm. And I'll never forget the misery in his face, the death that was on the horizon, and the isolation that man felt. And I realized 2004, so I'm however old I am back then, half the age I am right now, (laughs) that uh, in my life, I was not going to climb the wrong ladder. I was going to climb. I was going to race towards success and significance, but I wasn't going to lean it against the wrong wall. And so I'm not identified ultimately as a speaker or by my net worth or by anything else that I think many others hold their hats high on. I don't, man. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a father, husband, a whole lot of other words and descriptors first. Now, being a little bit more practical and pragmatic, I have a team of seven. I have a building that I own. I got to keep the cash flow coming in. I got to keep people paid. I see myself as being my brother and sister's keepers, man. I want to keep people gainfully employed around here. I don't, the smart move would have been to let everybody go and pick them back up in the summer. That's not my play, man. I, I will, uh, I'm going to support them through this thing, thick and thin. So we're pivoting. We primarily do a lot of work on the road in big stadiums, but we have also for a long time done work on video. So now we're going all in on video work. We're doing conferences uh, around the world. We're doing coaching around the world. We're doing kickoff calls around the world. We're having a huge impact right now from the comfort of our office and from the safety during the coronavirus of our office. So the impact is continuing. The cash is dwindling a little bit, but we believe it's going to come back on, hang on for it. Right. And then, and then the final piece I would say is we spoke to offer people hope. Like, that's why I, I speak. That's why I get on airplanes, man. It's not ultimately for a check. I want right. to provide people hope and perspective. I still am. We're doing more Facebook lives than ever before. Our podcast, we have something called the Live Inspired Podcast. It's never been more downloaded than it is right now. I think people are longing for hope and perspective and truth and truth. So we are doing all of this and uh, we're doing it in a little bit of a different way, making a little bit less money doing it, uh, but having a blast living into our mission. 
Yeah. I think it's important too, is that, that what I hear there is that you're adapting, right? And I think so many of us people that are working and maybe our, our, maybe our income went down. Some people's income just went away. Some people's business might've literally shut down is now is the time for that, that hustle, right? Now's the time for the grit to go out and make it happen. And for you to turn right or turn left and adapt. Wouldn't you agree with that? So let me, let me just encourage you guys right now. Many of you could tell me like the most popular streaming shows on Netflix or, um, a 16 part Amazon show that you are now three days into. Right. I just encourage you while everybody else is on the sidelines wasting these days, I beg you, I beg you to go all in on these days. When you're with your kids, your family, your roommate, be wildly engaged with your kids, your family, your roommate. But when you're not, man, work. You right. want to learn a new language? Learn a new language. You want to learn how to do something professionally you've never done before? Do it. You want to start a podcast? Start one. But, but don't waste these days because, right? The greatest generation, my grandfather's generation, probably yours, they were great because they endured the depression. They rebuilt the country. They went off to war. They won the war. They came home. What made them, I think, truly great is not that, though. Most of us would have done that. Most of us would have endured the depression. Most of us would have answered the call and gone. What made them truly, truly, truly great is this. They never learned, they never forgot the lessons they learned along the way. They, they, they never forgot the humility, the faith, the togetherness, the fact that we're in this thing together. They never forgot that along the way. My, my grandfather, after September 11th, he took the majority of his portfolio. This is not me giving investment advice leaders at home. This is me telling you what my grandfather did. And he bought every airplane stock and Boeing. It's the worst bet you could have made because on 9-11, everybody knew afterwards those things are going to plummet. He did that as an American citizen to support these businesses that he believed in. He wasn't all that worried ultimately about what the return was going to be for him. He wanted to make sure that he was voting with his dollars in a place that he knew it would make a difference, at least in a small way. The greatest generation never forgot the lessons they learned on the way up. And I just encourage us during these days of panic, let them teach us. Let them refine us, let them redeem us, and let us become made better because of them. I like it, John. I like it. I, I read something, and actually I was telling some people this. I said, something great is going to come out of this, right? Something is, there's going to be an idea somebody's going to have, they're going to build this amazing big company. I don't know what it is. I'm maybe not smart enough to figure that out, but something's going to happen. And then I saw a post and it said, here are the startups founded between 2008 and 2010. I don't know if you've seen this or not, no. uh, but it was Uber, Airbnb, Slack, Pinterest, WhatsApp, Square, and Venmo. All were started between 2008 and 2010. And you think about that, some of those are some of the biggest companies that we all use, right? You're, you're a guy that travels the world. How many times have you, you used Uber in the last you know, year? Hundreds, yes. right? That wasn't even around 10 years ago. It's crazy. So anyway, could go on and on about that. But right now, I think it's really, really important. Again, I was on a group call with some of our advisors earlier, and we were talking about how do you stay, how do you stay positive, how do you stay healthy? How important right now is self-talk uh, mm. with where we're at today? So if I ask you how many people died in Italy yesterday, you could probably tell me. If I asked you how, what the spread is doing in Spain, you could tell me. If I asked you what Trump's latest tweet was and how he got it wrong, you could, like, you could tell me what's happening in the headlines, which means that's not your self-talk, that's someone else's. That's Trump's or it's Pelosi's, depending on which side of the aisle you want to party on. Sure. It's the New York Times or it's the Post-Dispatch, it's the Wall Street Journal, it's everybody else other than you. And I know, Brett, because you're my friend and you're my brother and I love you and I respect you, that you spend 90 minutes every day of your life in the morning to own your mindset throughout the day. That's right. Because it's going to determine what happens in that day. And if you are letting the New York Times tell you what's gonna happen in your life, you are going to be a train wreck during this time. We have had 14, not, not 13 now, corrections of greater than 20% since 1943. This too shall pass. This is going to pass. Now you can feel victimized by it all. And for some of us, we are dealing with hardship. We, we're lo we've lost income. Many of us have lost our employment, but there's also a way to control our mindset. And so what I always encourage my team to do and what I do as a man myself and what I encourage our audience frequently to do is like you to have that journal. And every morning I get up about 4.30, I go outside, even if it's cold, if it's cold, I grab a Coke, I grab a coffee and I stay out there. And that's when I do my best work. It's when I, I pray, read scripture, reflect, journal, dream. And I ask the question as the sun begins to kiss over the horizon, the question is always why me? And then I spend the next several minutes, sometimes 90 seconds, other times 30 minutes, journaling on what I'm grateful for right now in this moment. And sometimes it's a love letter to a family member, a spouse, a business owner, a colleague, a daughter. But I, I, I start my day reflectfully, prayerfully in gratitude. And it's very hard for me to feel too busted up about what's happening around the world, things I can't control if I'm only living in that lane. 
what I choose to do is control my own thought, my own mindset. And then when I do look at the headlines, because I can also tell you what's happening in Italy and Spain, because I think we need to be aware, but we don't need to be buried by it. I'm aware of it. And we're trying to make a difference into it. We're trying to speak truth into it. We have endured storms like this before. H1N1 was actually not all that unlike this one. Just something most of us yawn by. Well, it claimed 13,000 Americans' lives. Uh, I think 600,000 around the world, but we're bored by it these days. Like right. the, the, the storm is always on the horizon and we can choose to put up our sail and go in a new direction or we can choose to go with the storm and feel brutalized the entire journey. And I just refuse to play that game. Yeah. Life is too finite and it is too precious to waste these days only feeling sorry for ourselves. Couldn't agree more, man. And I think is, is, I mean, and I don't know the number, but think of how many people, millions, hundreds of millions of people that right now, if, if anybody really probably listening to this, even in the bad times, and I know there's bad times right now that people are going to say, Brett, you don't understand what I'm going through. I agree. I don't, but there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but think of how many hundreds of millions of people would still trade place with John O'Leary right now. <laughs> right. I mean, well, the, think the- about it. I feel, I hear what you're saying. So last year, and you got to be careful when you throw stats around because the value of a human life is priceless. So one person dying of COVID-19 is one more than I want to die of COVID-19. Seriously, yep. that's why I'm self-isolating. My own health, I'm not at all worried about, but I'm deeply worried about my father with Parkinson's disease or, or your grandmother. Like I'm really highly yeah. concerned and I'm really concerned about our healthcare team. So that's why I'm doing my part. Last year though, 36 million people died of starvation. So we get really focused on some numbers and we choose to turn our lens completely away from other far more massive numbers. Last year, one and a half million people attempted to take their own life. Mm. So there are things that ravaged society. Last year, in one uh, July weekend in Chicago, more than 200 people lost their life in gang violence. And we yawned because that's really not our problem. Well, I kind of think it is because what happens in one spot happens in all. Life is not fully isolated. You are not an island. We recognize this now finally through the coronavirus. Let us not forget it when the coronavirus passes. We we are called to live into the best of our talents with all we have, but also to serve as our brothers and sisters keepers. So um, use this experience to huddle up, to discover again what matters, but also to accelerate forward into life because it's about to get a lot better. And then our job is to make sure it gets a lot better for a whole lot more people. That's right. So talk to us about, in the book, you talk about the importance of asking why, right? And these kids, as I look out and see a couple of my kids, and, and uh, so now that we got the nine-year-old still, the, the 14-year-old's now joined us. What's up, Max? Uh, and so, but the importance of why, right? Because in, in my five-year-old upstairs, right, that, that question's all the time. And sometimes it can be, you know, like, oh, at the end of the day, another why question. But why is that so important? Well, I think we're seeing it firsthand right now, Brett, with everybody working from home. And many of us actually enjoying it more than being in the office. Yeah. We've never once paused to say, uh, I come in at eight, I leave at five. Why? What, what if I started my day at 4.30, worked till seven, got my kids up, worked a couple hours at home, had lunch with my wife, came in, worked from one to four, they came home, picked up my kids. Why? Like, so the idea of why challenges what we take for granted. Why? Now, as little ones, your kids who are watching us right now, they naturally do it. But the more they do it, more mom and dad and teachers say, because, damn it, that's why. Now stop, go do what I told you to do. Just do it. That's the way we do things. So we as adults stop asking the question why. But if you really want to take massive leaps in life, in your business, in your marriage, in your spiritual journey, as a leader, as a sojourner, you got to be risky enough not to assume you have the answers. That's the wrong way. I don't trust a politician or a leader who thinks they know everything. Run the opposite direction. Great leaders are always asking great questions, and there's not a better question than why. Where did I learn that, man? I learned it as, as a child. I learned it from my own kids. I learned it from your kids, and I think we all learn it from ours, and we used to ask it ourselves. And so leaders, the opportunity in front of us today is to ask it again. Why? Why? And is there a better way? Why? Yeah, is there a better way? I think that is key, right? Especially as a business owner, as a parent. I mean, you're right. We don't ever question the fact of you just work eight to five. Right? If you went out and hired a new employee today, that wouldn't even be the topic because they just know it's, you're going to come in at this time and you're going to leave at that time. No questions asked. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a journaler. That's a, that's a writer down or thinker. Um, if your business could talk right now, what do you think your business would say? I think my business is trying to speak to me right now and I better <laughs> pay attention to listening because if we get this wrong, it's going to make moving forward a lot more difficult. I think the business is saying, John, I've been inviting you for a long time to scale in a way that you were afraid to do. Uh, I've given you an incredible opportunity to do exactly that. You can choose to ignore it and go out of business. 
and become irrelevant and uh, do some little church picnics and have fun and just still love your kids and really have a great time in life. Or you can choose to really wake up to this headwind, to this storm, and see it as an incredible, priceless opportunity to do the things that you've been called to do next in, this, in the journey. And so what we're trying to do is to pay attention to what the business or my worldview, God, would have us do next, and then to be risky enough to say, okay, first, why? Because I want an answer to it. Yeah, yeah. And I may even ask why again. And of my own coat, because I'm, I'm challenging my team right now to completely reinvent ourselves. And we're always asking why. Like, so if we do that, why? But we're coming up with a really cool plan to touch a lot more lives around the world than one guy can do by hopping on an airplane and missing family dinners. Yep. So uh, the business is telling me to pay attention, and I hope that I'm sophisticated enough and humble enough to do exactly that. Well, I'm glad I asked that question because a lot of times when I ask that, it's just like it's kind of a dumb question, really. I mean, because sometimes people just kind of stare at you like, well, my business doesn't talk or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. But, but your, your answer was perfect, right? So to peel the onion layer back more on that is how. Like, so how do you do that? So you say, I inspire my team. It's easy to say that on here, you're on a podcast. I inspire my team. So talk to the man or the woman that's listening right now. And they've got the thought, I've got to, I've got to turn left now instead of right, right? I've got, to, I've got to flip the script on what I do as a business model. I have to change my business model. How do you inspire your team? It's not just an email, right? right. What are you doing? What, what are you specifically doing? Let's dig into the weeds here and get specific on that. So we do, I think, a couple things differently now than we used to. The first thing we do is we begin every conversation like this one on a Skype call or Zoom or meetings through Microsoft, whatever it might be where we can actually physically see each other to remind each other we're here, I yep. see you, you belong, that we're working collaboratively, that we haven't checked out, that we're still in this thing rowing together. So that, that's one thing that's really been beneficial to remind the team we're still doing the great work. Then we walk around the room and we ask, her, we ask one another, what's the greatest lesson that you've learned since we last checked in? Sometimes that's 24 hours, sometimes it's four days or so, no more than four days though. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned since we last checked in? So we cycle around the room and everybody shares what the what great lesson over the last 24 to 72 hours might be. And then we go around one more time. And I know this is like, John, do you ever work? And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't even have a job. But the third time we take a lap around it is, uh, what's one thing from the past meeting that reminds you of the priceless work that you do? Because I want people in particular during a time where they may feel a little isolated. Some of them are homeschooling their kids and trying to work for John O'Leary. That's exhausting. Others are a single lady working out of her home with a dog and she's feeling really cooped up. That's hard. One's a single father doing the same thing. That's really hard. So I want them to kind of come out of that isolation to be reminded of the great work they're doing, that it does in fact matter. So not only do they need to report out on that, Brett, the other really valuable piece of that is all week long, they need to be seeking that. They need to be looking for the emails, looking for the phone conversations, looking for the great ideas that they're coming up with that remind them of the great work that they're doing. Well, you're so right. Because if you're going to ask me that question, I better have an answer, right? So better have an answer, man. Yeah. So I am looking out for it. Because Larry's going to drop the hammer. <laughs> so that's one big thing. The team meeting right. is important. The second thing is the vision. I, I'm casting a vision that is as bold as anything we've ever had. And every year we grow here. So even with the headwind, we're growing. Get ready, people. I don't know how. Why? Right. Hey, let's keep asking questions, but right. we're not done yet. Let's go. And the third thing I'm doing is, uh, you know, by the way, on that on the vision thing, Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon. We're going to come back. We're going to do it safely, and we're going to do it by the end of the decade. Yeah. And the majority of the tools that were in that space rocket weren't even invented when he made that commitment at Rice University in '63. So sometimes we just need an audacious vision and say, "Let's go." I trust you enough to get there with me. So his was the moon, and I'm making a moonshot right now. And the, the third thing I'm doing is I'm sharing my finances with the team. For the first time, I'm sharing profit, loss, money in the banks, money out the bank, because I need them to recognize the urgency of where we are, but also the excitement about where we're going. Right. So I, I want us to recognize that we are in this thing together. And uh, I'm not going to give up on them, but during a season where everybody else is on Netflix tuning out, I want them to be hyper engaged when they are working and then really focus on their family when they're not. Yeah. I think too, what you're saying there is, don't you think that the old, uh, what is it? Paralysis by analysis or, you know, they got to have all the answers before they move on. And I, and what I'm hearing from you, and I know we do this as well in our firm and, and with our team is we may not have the answer right now and that's okay. Right. But as long as you're doing the right things and you're making the right steps and you're the grit, the audacity, the whatever it has, whatever it may right. be, sometimes you don't know the answer. Right. We had a team call today. I don't know the answer, but I know what we're working together really hard on as a team. Right. And the right answer will present itself. Right. And that's what and I'm hearing from you and what you're saying. You are hearing that loudly for me. My team is hearing it even louder for me because normally I have a pretty clear vision and a pretty 
cool strategy and tactics to deliver on it. Right now, I don't. I got a great vision, but we got to build the strategy and then build the tactics and believe that together we can get it done. I like that. What are you, what are you learning? So as you travel around the world and you're meeting with some of these great leaders, so talk to our leaders, our business owners. And, and when I say leader, it doesn't mean you have the title of the leader you know, of, your, of your organization. You could be leading your home. You could be leading the, the cube that you work in, whatever it may be. What are, you, what are you learning that the best leaders around the world are doing, whether that's daily, uh, you know, monthly, yearly, whatever it may be? Awesome. So the first thing is they're never being driven by the day. And Brad, you mentioned this on the kickoff, but they, they, they determine how this day is going to roll as they step into it. So they are very intentional in the morning and they typically don't wake up to the alarm clock reminding them, I got to get the kids to the bus stop. Right. These are folks that are up and rocking and rolling long before everybody else is even thinking about hitting snooze. Yep. So I would just encourage people during all seasons, including this one, uh, be thoughtful in the way you want to get after your day. The second thing for my favorite leaders is they're incredibly humble and hungry. And um, I have the benefit of partnering with Microsoft and Apple and Southwest Airlines and some really cool organizations. And they've got great leaders. But my favorite leaders are the ones, typically the ones driving me around when I'm, when I'm out of town. They sit in the front. I usually start off in the back before I step into the shotgun. And they typically came from a different country at one point in their life. Very few of my drivers were born here. And they have this profound hunger to, to not only serve their client, which is me in the back of their car, which is really cool. They have a hunger to grow, to make the world a little bit of a better place for their family back at home, but also the family yep. they're raising here, and to make society itself better. So our immigrants have so much to teach us about what it looks like to have a work mentality. They're workers, man. They're, they're just, they have so much to teach, but they also have a lot to teach us about humility. There's not a whole lot of ego in the front of those cars. They're just loving and open. And uh, some of my best conversations aren't with high-level executives with big old paychecks. They're uh, side to side in a Lincoln Town car and a taxi right. car going to and fro meetings in airports. Yeah, learn a lot from those people, can't you? Yes. If, so if, uh, if, if talk you to listen, us. If you listen, if you listen and listen. ask questions, if you're on your phone in your world, done. But if you have the audacity to say, "What's your name? Where are you from? Where were you from before that?" How'd you get here? When'd you come? Was it hard? What did you, man, you think you have a hard life. You hop in a typical taxi in any city when uh, we have the opportunity to no longer socially distance ourselves exactly. from one another and listen to the story that folds out in front of you and you will be overwhelmed. You will be overwhelmed. Well, hopefully that some of this slowing down stuff will, will eliminate that, right? Because I'm guilty of it too, right? Jump in the Uber and you're on your phone. And, but but I, I'm a talker, so I like to uh, hear those. We could probably start a podcast, right? Brett and John in the Uber ride. and uh, That's really interesting, man. You know, we'll start getting people's stories. I'm in. John will probably run with it. There's your moonshot. I don't know if you're going to get paid <laughs> enough for that. But, um, talk to us about, especially, again, right now, let's, I don't want to continue just to keep focusing on this, you know, dark cloud that we're in. But, I mean, so today, but, you know, a year from now, five years from now, on a day that John O'Leary doesn't want to get after it and go fight the day, which I know there's not a lot of those days, but there are some, right? We're all guilty of it. What, what do you do to make sure you still get up and you, you put on the nice shirt and you go battle for that day? Right, man. I, I wore a blazer to work today, and I, I don't think anybody's going to come in here that I'm aware of. Right. Because uh, I think the way you dress will determine sometimes how you actually show up into that day. Even the way you just perform and think and, and the beliefs you have around yourself and the work that you're doing, it yeah. matters. So uh, I'm not wearing sweatpants. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm getting after this day. I, I really want to do phenomenal work on this day. And so that, that's one piece. I will tell you, though, Brett, this has been a very difficult season as a guy who builds uh, a portfolio of work around speaking around the world to work really, 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 really hard to build an incredible team. And almost everyone's efforts are around making the phone ring to support the client, to get John O'Leary in front of a big audience, and then bring him home safely and to love the audience while he's there. And then to have 27 meetings so far cancel. It takes, it takes years to build out one event. We've, fallen, we've had 27 ripped out from us. And that's not only the lives she wanted to impact, which is tens of thousands, but it's a lot of revenue. And it's, it's the mortgage for my colleagues and it's meals for their kids. And I, I take this very seriously. So it's, yeah. I had one long pity party about two weeks ago where I came to work, was feeling sorry for myself. I then left work, came home, played with my kids for four hours and said, enough, I'm going back mm -hmm. to work. And so uh, I had one pity party. I think it's okay for us from time to time Absolutely. to be like, oh man, I'm just broken. But you can't live there. And I'll share a very short story that I think ties in, and it's in the book. But when I was having a pity party as a kid, because I had my fingers amputated, my mother had our piano teacher come to our house. And dude, I'm in story. a wheelchair. 
I'm on a morphine drip and I ain't got no fingers and the piano teacher's in the living room. And what my mother was showing me through action that day was, John, they may have taken your fingers. They've not taken your life. You may not act like a victim for the rest of your days, not in this house. Not when you got this much love, not when you got this kind of foundation below you. And so for those of us right now struggling in a marriage or in a financial crisis, me too. But what I will tell you is they may have taken your fingers. They have not taken your life. Don't sit there for long. You can have the pity party. You can cry about it. You can cuss. You can punch a couple holes in the drywall. And then take a shower. That water is probably still going to be hot because your water heater is still on. Put on your button shirt and let's go. Let's roll up our sleeves and do it together. Amen, brother. I call it the bounce back theory. The most successful people I know bounce back from you know, bad, bad things very quickly, right? They, they, sure, we're all going to go home, have the pity party. I've done it as well, right? Like, screw this. I'm out of here. I'm going home, right? But, but you do, you got to bounce back because the only person that can change for your business, for those employees and the things you take very serious is you, right? And if you're at home sulking, you're licking your wounds and crying about it, well, that's not going to do anybody any good. And I don't mean to be harsh about it, but it's true. The faster that John O'Leary or the person listening to this can bounce back and get back on those two feet, put on their clothes and go rock and roll and figure it out. Good things are going to happen. So couldn't agree more. So talk to us. Let's have some fun here. Um, you're, you're a father, you got a business, you travel a lot. Um, how do you slow down to enjoy the journey and be present in the moment when you're at awesome. home with these, uh, these four, probably like my house, crazy kids. So a couple of ways I'll go. Am back. I the only one with crazy kids? Oh, they're way crazy, man. I, we don't have time to unpack <laughs> right. this right now. You'll have to put an, a rating of X yeah. on this thing to, yeah. <laughs> for me to tell you what my kids are doing these days. But when I used to be on the road a lot or in and out of meetings a lot, one of the ways that I self-managed was to first counter out time for just them. Whether that means days to not miss talent shows or uh, homeroom or reading recitals or whatever the thing is. So even in the, the chaos of the sprint up the ladder, the first thing I prioritize is family time. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, for us, it's, it's church, it's vacations, it's stuff up at school, it's weekends, with, like, it's, it's, it's the family time. It's the most important to me. The second thing is most guys I know, and this is not a knock against your listeners and viewers, I don't know a whole lot of folks who are super engaged when they're at home. So although I'm traveling two nights a week usually, when I'm at home, dude, Brett Gilliland, you cannot find me. You can't find me. And I, I missed your call yesterday because my phone is off. This, yeah. I live with this thing off. I don't want to be chained to my phone. I don't want to listen for beeps and vibrations. It's never, ever, ever, ever on, which also means I'm engaged at work when I'm here. So my wife sometimes calls me and I miss that. But, but the better part of the story is when I get home, I'm shooting baskets. I'm loving kids. I'm doing jump rope. I'm having tea parties. I'm present. And so I, I just encourage all of us when we get back to the old grind of work, when you come home, whether that's at three o'clock or six fifteen, be home. Yeah. Because what most of us do is we we're so taxed by how exhausting work is that we then do work once we get home because we got to catch back up. And then we're so mad at ourselves the following morning for the first two hours that we're thinking about how we let Jimmy down and how we cursed at little Betty for you know pulling on her pant leg. Right. right. And it's all out of whack. So when you're at work, work like a dog. But when you're at home, play like a puppy. I love it. Play like a puppy. Quote John O'Leary. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so if I did take your phone though, and it was turned on, what, what's the one thing that you would tell people you don't want me to delete? An email is not one of it because that's how we got to do business. So that's not fun. But if I had to delete one thing from your phone, what would give you a little bit of uh, some angst? I mean, so of course my, my entire phone book, I don't have a clue what your phone number is. And I've, okay. yeah, I know true. my mom's and my, my wife's, we've been together 17 years. So I have those two down besides yeah. that I'm done. Yeah. But I have a computer that has the backed up and it's on the cloud. For me, Brett, the, the, the greatest joy I get from my phone, in addition to having conversations with friends like you, is looking down and looking at pictures. I love, I take pictures of quotes. I take pictures of beautiful trees. I take pictures of cute puppies. And I take a ton of pictures of my family. Yeah. It, it drives my wife crazy, but I'm like, a, I'm like, a, I'm always taking pictures of them. Because I, my memory is not quite sharp enough to remember it all. But in a photograph, it brings me right back to where yeah. we were, what I was eating, what she was smelling like, where we were going next. And so I love the buzz of pictures. I love it. That's a good one too. I'm a, I, I'm a closet photographer guy. I would, I would, I, if I could, you know, take pictures forever, I, that's what, I agree. So that's awesome. So bucket list, talk to me about the O'Leary bucket list. Anything on there? What a cool season for us as a family. I, like I mentioned, 26, 27 speeches have just been moved yeah. or gone forever, which means I've had, Brett, I don't know, 
17 consecutive breakfasts, 17 consecutive lunch, and 17 consecutive dinners at home. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow's going to be 18 for all those. And then I'm looking forward to 19 and probably going to be at about 60 before I'm uh, back on a flight and maybe more. Yeah. I, rather than cursing this time and, and, and cursing the luck, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking inventory of how blessed I am to be able to weather the storm. And uh, that, that's the first thing you should know about me is I'm, I'm grateful for this crazy period in life that has forced John O'Leary off of one ladder onto another one. And I don't want to get it wrong when life returns to normal. So I'm going to go back to this book in all comes out when May 5th, baby at, at all 5th. retailers everywhere. Retailers, you'll be seeing posts for me and other people. I'm sure on go buy this book again, <laughs> top three book I've ever read. Page 61, if I may, I'm going to read something. You talked about, my friend, we have two very different teachers standing in front of us sharing two vastly different messages. So you got the one character who's 45, right? And you got the one guy who is, if I can read this correctly, somewhere he's in his 90s, stage four of cancer. 98. Talk to us about those 98. Talk to us about those two teachers. So one of them was Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal was on, oh gosh, is it uh, City? City City Slickers? City Slickers. And he's, he's a, a little fourth grade gathering. He's show and tell. He's a son show and tell. And they're talking about what their mom or your daddy does. And he's in radio. And as the kids are asking him questions, oh, so you play songs. No, I don't play songs. You write songs. No, I don't write songs. I do, I do the commercials. Oh, so you write the jingles. I don't do that. You at least determine what the, it, it comes down to the guy does nothing. <laughs> he realizes how miserable his life is. Right. And you guys all know this better than I. And if you don't Google it right now, watch it with your spouse and family and get a kick out of it. But he goes through this long speech about how miserable life is, how quickly it goes past, how it's going to end in your 80s. You're going to be calling your wife by the wrong name and some J- Jamaican nurse is going to be taking care of you. Don't miss this day, kids. <laughs> and all the kids are looking up at him like, what is wrong with this guy? So that's one teacher. Yeah. And what I would say to you, candidly, is it is the majority of the teachers we have around us in our lives. Mm. We're not doing life intentionally with great people. They, they post on Facebook how lousy Trump is or how horrible Pelosi is or how lousy our country is or how miserable the, the Metro East is or St. Louis is or states are, Illinois government, Chicago's backwards, the environment, like everything's bad. They're Billy Crystal teachers. And the other teacher was a guy named Pat Hinman. I met him when he was 98 years old. So I don't know what you'll be doing in 98, but let me tell you what he was doing. He was uh, in charge of a gathering of 24 business owners. He coached them one-to-one between the monthly meetings. So as a 98-year-old, he's hosting a once-a-month meeting with 24 business owners and then one-to-one coaching them for two hours between those meetings to keep them moving, bringing them back together. And he brings in speakers like John O'Leary to fire him up, to love him, to encourage him. So I have the opportunity of being one of those guys. It's a long story. I don't want to bore all your audience to sleep. I also want to give them a reason to go out to the bookstore and get in awe. But it comes down to the fact that this guy is still doing this in 98 with stage four cancer. And as he's getting his top coat on to go home, he says to me, uh, John, it was a pleasure meeting you, my friend. So I thank him for that. And I'm like, where are you going now, Pat? Where are you going? He's like, I better get home or my wife is going to think I'm running around on her. (laughs) This 98-year-old gets in his Lincoln car, drives back to his wife of 77 years. She also was sick, and he wanted to guide her to the finish line. Pat Henman died four weeks after his wife. He was married to her for almost eight decades. They did an amazing life together and he served his businesses until the end. He also teaches us that you don't need to be a kid to be childlike. He, his birthday was that day, Brad. I don't think I mentioned that, but we mm. sang happy birthday to him. And the only person who sang louder than all of us in the audience was Pat himself. It was like, he was celebrating life, man. Arms in the air, conducting us forward. And then after he sang the song, he went around the room to all 24 business owners and me and told us all, all 25 of us, one thing that he appreciated about us. This guy savored life. And that's what kids do, but you don't need to be seven to do it. You can be 98 or you can be anywhere in between. So uh, you have two teachers in front of you, and I just encourage you to not choose Billy Crystal. (laughs) I like it. Great message, man. I'm going to close with this and anything else you got. Uh, but I'm going to read something real quick. So this talks about Thomas Edison said this. It said, uh, when you have exhausted all possibilities, this is page 41, when you've exhausted all possibilities, remember this, you haven't. Mick Ebeling uh, lives by this belief. He told me sometimes people with the degrees behind their names solve the problems. And sometimes they are the problem Amen. because their experience and degrees and diplomas make them think they know the best. Sometimes what you need is beautiful, limitless naivety. Man, I love that. Beautiful, limitless naivety. 
naivete. Sorry, I keep saying it wrong. The willingness to admit that you don't know what you don't know, that you're ready to go on an adventure to uncover answers, that not knowing doesn't scare you, but it actually, but it's actually an invitation to go on a journey, the journey of what if and figure mm. it out. So when you hear me read that, what are you thinking, my man? man? The very first thing I'm thinking is like, that is good. That is so <laughs> good. Right there, baby. Well, and you know, you want to write a good book, quote a lot of people smarter than you in it. Yes, and that's definitely. what he's done beautifully, man. So I bring in people, my team, Brett, I'm the weak link. I, I only hire people, people more faithful, better, smarter, and more engaged than I am. And I just try, I try to step up my game every day to serve them. But Mick Ebelin is a guy who is curing some of the world's ills. And my great concern really with the coronavirus is that we got the smartest people in the world after with the, with the PhDs behind their name and their infectious disease. And I think we need a bunch of guys with several beers in front of them saying, man, what, what if we tried this? What, what, what if we did that? What, what if we tried something wildly, wildly different? And I think if we got those guys in a room together and Mick Ebling was in charge of it, this thing wouldn't have a chance. And if we can do this with coronavirus, why not world hunger? Why not the suicide epidemic? Why not this the crisis we have around a negative savings rate as a country. So I, I think we need a whole lot of really cool people coming in with no ego, no uh, designations behind their names saying, man, what, what if, what if, and then watch what happens when we do it together. Well, and again, I connect with that because I have a bunch of limit, limitless naivete. That's me, man. <laughs> so again, John O'Leary, this was a phenomenal, phenomenal book. I cannot express enough to our listeners. Go out in May, buy it wherever you can buy a book. It's going to be everywhere. I promise you, it says rediscover your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. I can't think of a better time for a book like this to come out because in our lives right now, my man, this is what we all need. I hope we all slow down enough so we can speed up. Uh, enjoy the time with your families. Man, create experiences, take pictures, uh, love on your kids, play Monopoly, uh, read a great book, write the things down that you're thankful for. Uh, just, you know, call your friends and you know what, man, like I'm doing host a poker tournament once a week with your buddies. And then when you win, they pay you on Venmo. It's phenomenal. It's basically free to go do it unless you lose, but just go out and love on people, man. Cause you do that all the time, John. So it's awesome being with you, my friend. And let me, let me just tell people uh, one more thing, listeners and, and viewers, we got a 21 day challenge, no cost to it. It's called readinaw.com. So if you go to the website right now, read in awe.com let me just encourage you for 21 days and you can share it with this your family every single day has a little bit of inspiration and i, I mean like 32 seconds so it's not going to take mm. you very long and then one challenge to step into it so uh whether it's playing poker with your buddies or uh, taking a picture of a beautiful spring tree let me remind you that there's reason for joy today so go to readinaw.com and uh, let's do the next 21 days of life together i love it john you're the man thanks so much buddy I'm proud of you man keep going tune in next week for another episode of the circuit of success with brett gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 